My name is Linda Nardelli. I'm a spiritual counselor and the author of Mystical Intimacy, a book on embodied mysticism. Today I'm exploring the fundamental message in chapter 9 of my book, which is all about letting go. When I wrote this chapter, I had an epiphany about um, about what it means to surrender when I, I was sitting on the beach gazing at the setting sun. It was a gray evening, and yet the warm hues of the sunset completely transformed this this somber landscape. I, I saw in the changing sky a metaphor for what this chapter is all about. Letting go. Letting go into, into the shifting of energy. It's a journey. Like a sunset which cannot be captured because its beauty is in its unique metamorphosis, our own beauty is the, the ever-changing evolution of the soul. In letting go, we expand the role of the ego mind and, and, and we encounter a complete metamorphosis of our creative potential. We let go into the journey of discovery. Let on its own, you know, the ego, if it could, it, it would capture the sunset. It, it, it would try to make the moment last forever. But by letting go, the ego forms an alliance with the soul. Together, the ego and the soul, they unite to create such beauty that we are moved beyond old conditioning into states of inspired freedom. By letting go, we lose nothing. I love this. This is in my book. By letting go, we lose nothing. Instead, we see, we witness, and expand ourselves into receiving so much more. I came across a passage in one of, of um, a book by Charles Delind, a short storybook called uh, The Ivory and the Horn. I read that book a long time ago, and I reread it not that long ago. And I love the, the way Delint expresses this idea of letting go from the perspective of not overthinking. He writes, he's right, what gets me is how everybody's looking to make sense of things. But sometimes you don't want sense. Sometimes the last thing in the world you need is sense. Work a thing through till it makes sense and you lose all the possibilities. <laughs> when I read this passage from his book, it reminded me of when my clients try so hard to understand what's going on that they get tied up in knots of confusion, of despair, of, of reaction and resistance. You know? then the the intuitive healing or the channel guidance makes absolutely no sense to them. They don't realize that they are rejecting the spiritual message because it doesn't appeal to their their egos, to their rational thinking process. It, the, the message just doesn't fit into their familiar perception of reality. Hey, I do it too. You probably do. We get we get caught up in the mind and we too, we we, we reject the unknowable mystery. Delint explores this further in his book. He writes, he writes, the thing I like about the mystery is that it doesn't show us more than a little piece at a time. The mystery doesn't show us more than a little piece at a time. Now, isn't that true? Isn't that how it is? So that means that, hey, we have time to slow down. And to listen to the underlying threads of our rational thoughts, the deeper felt senses and emotions, we have time to settle into the body. And it feels so good to stop trying to make sense of everything, to let ourselves not know. Because only then can the mystery reveal itself, not to our rational thinking minds, but to our inner sense of resonance. That brings me to the opening poem of this chapter. The poem that was written by an old flame, actually, uh, Don Hyssop. 
it was a gift that he, he gave me, a gift of letting me go, to let me go onto my journey and my own path. I, I actually think he wrote it for himself in a way, as a way to prepare himself for his final farewell, because he, he passed away a few years after he and I parted. Holding on, holding on alters the natural course, letting go, lets freedom and love expand. Like rushing water on the palm of my hand, it disappears as I reach to grasp too tightly. With an open heart, my arms are wide open. Walk in, and I'll let you go. Holding on. Holding on alters the natural course. Letting go lets freedom and love expand. Like rushing water on the palm of my hand, it disappears as I reach to grasp too tightly with an open heart with an open heart my arms are wide open wide open walk in and I'll let you go you know it reminds me of the saying set set him her free and they may find the way back I journeyed on. I I moved into the city, and my life changed. His life changed. When the poem, it means to me as much now as it did as it did then. What a gift it, it touched me. And I, I would love to say I would love to say that now in my life that I seemingly flow with life with my heart wide open, but uh, that would be a lie. I can't even say that I aspire to be fully open. My intention is to open and close open and close as gracefully as I can to feel to feel the sensation of grasping and the sensation of surrender again and again with humility and curiosity that's that's my sense of this gift of of opening of having our hearts open our hearts you know beat there's a contraction there's an opening it happens our lungs contract and open this is our biology. It's natural. When I received the channel message for this chapter about the art of letting go, I, I, I was in the process of packing my belongings and putting everything in storage before heading out for a three-month journey throughout the Southeast Asia. The plan was to move to a small island when my husband and I returned, which we did, though it was short-lived. We ended up back on the mainland for three more years before we finally moved to the Sunshine Coast of B.C., what I didn't anticipate when we put all our stuff in storage is that I would feel homeless and rudderless and that it would color my experience of our travels. But it's not a surprise in retrospect because I just hadn't taken into account that due to my chaotic childhood, my sense of home base would become so tenuous. Like I didn't realize how much you know that putting myself on hold like that had such a profound effect. And as a child, my family moved so many times that in total, I th- oh goodness, I went to 17 schools by, by grade 10. And then I quit high school, yeah. And four years later, I was considered a mature student, interestingly, and was able to go to art college. And well, that was grueling, actually, because it was fraught with me feeling deeply alone and unsupported and unworthy. I mean, I I didn't have my family's blessings. They didn't understand what I was doing, as many of us have experienced. Eh? 
Well, I brought all of this to therapy in my mid-twenties, so by the time I journeyed to Asia in my thirties, I thought that all the trauma from my childhood was behind me. I thought, well, I'm good. I'm good to go. Let's go on an adventure. And yeah, well, on the travels throughout Asia, I discovered that the past trauma was far from over. It it served to it surfaced. All the insecurities, the in, indecision, self-doubt, that's how it surfaced. Now, and I understand now that childhood wounds, they don't go away. When we've been traumatized, our whole being, body, mind, and soul, needs to be nurtured and soothed. On this trip, I had yet to learn how to soothe my anxiety, my stress responses. I, I hadn't uncovered the lesson that this deep wound was teaching me. It had, it had, you know, the, the wound had a lot to do with my relationship, with how we traveled together, and and advocating for what I wanted and needed, which was a struggle. Because like many of us in my childhood, my I wasn't taught self-care. I wasn't taught how to advocate for my needs. I mean, as I recall it, my needs didn't matter much to, you know, to my drunken mother and my absent father. And as for my grandparents, well... I lived with them for oh, how long? About six years. My needs were well, too much for them to take care of. It was a lot. They had already raised a family, and they and they had unresolved sufferings, deep grief, you know. So this trip to Southeast Asia, oh goodness, it served as the catalyst. It served as the catalyst for letting go. <laughs> over and over, I had to surrender. I had to expand and open myself to uncomfortable situations and, and an equal measure of amazing experiences. Now, I had to let go of the evaluating mind while I continued to feel destabilized. And you know what happens when we feel insecure, the evaluating mind, the judgment really comes in full force. <laughs> so it's an interesting ride. You know, being in a strange environment amidst cultural differences and, and the challenge of language barrier, it, well, it brought out the worst in me. You know, and as well as an incredible ability to adapt and make connections, it, just, it amazes me. Both my reactions and my and the positivity were equally unpredictable, and and each new day called for me to let go, over and over, and discover and uncover and experience my reactions and my adaptability. It it all showed up, you know. I, I look back and I write about this in this chapter that some situations were really hard to reconcile. Especially, I remember seeing a man throw a garbage bag out of a moving bus. There's so much litter everywhere. It was just awful. And on another bus, on a, on a small bus, the, the attendant, the, the bus is there, there's a driver and there's the attendant. Well, he tried to grab my garbage bag. I was, I was tying it to my backpack. And he insisted by, he was gesturing his arms and he was pointing to the window and he was really trying to convince me to throw it out the window. Like, oh, no, I shook my head vigorously. No, I didn't want to add to that litter. I didn't want to add to the marring of the landscape. I was just so appalled. Oh, goodness. Oh, my goodness, I remember how much I prayed, I meditated, I, I, and I tried to find solace within, you know, but, oh, goodness, my spiritual practice could, could really not console me when, after climbing a long flight of stairs to a, a mountaintop uh, temple, just amazing views, you know, I, well, I encountered a, a dying dog. 
Oh, the dog's the dog's hair was stringy and barely covering his bony frame, and his eyes were red with mucus. He followed me everywhere. Do you think he could follow my husband, who was taking photographs? No, 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 he was following me. And he's panting, and I felt so sick and helpless. And I could feel from within the spirit saying to me, Release him. Look beyond his pain. Oh, God, I didn't know how. I wasn't even able to do right then. I, it was through journaling later that I was able to let go and accept the dog's fate. That's when I, I finally stopped feeling so helpless. I, I, just, I just was able to open, open my heart and love the dog. Just love the dog. Love it. It's fate. Love. Just love it. The, the spirits, Mass India, they helped me realize that the dog was looking for love. My, my survival instinct, my, my animal-loving instinct was to try to save it. You know, but what could I do? So instead, I, 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 I let go. I let go of even trying to figure out what to do. I let go of trying to understand why, why is a dog dying? And I, and I let go of all my judgments towards the monastery because I thought, well, they should do something. And I came to realize that the dog and I were in the same place in divine order, in divine time. And that the sorrow I felt, it didn't have to prevent me from appreciating the dog's presence and its value. Yeah, the whole trip taught me about love. I like to say that I'm, I'm a master at, uh, at this, you know, at letting go and uh, staying in my heart. But the truth is, my evaluating mind gets the best of me. Then I, then I practice what I teach. I practice being the witness. I practice letting go. And I practice giving myself the nurturing presence that my judgmental mind needs. We only judge reality when we are having a hard time accepting it, when we feel threatened and uncomfortable. Eh? The evaluating mind is, is just trying to protect us. It's just, it, it's just so completely freeing to remember that we are, we are so much more than our rational thinking mind. We're, we're not really, the mind is not in charge. We, the mind can't really control reality. And so, honestly, I've had to let go of so much. And I know it's hard. I know that many of you have had to let go of so much. An ego mind would have us believe it's because we failed or we've lost or we've done something wrong. You've probably heard people say, I, I must have done something bad in another lifetime. Have you heard that? Or you've probably said it yourself. I probably said it too. Our minds are so linear and, and we're so punitive that we assume fault. There is always someone to blame. I grew up with my my parents, my grandparents blaming my parents or the other f side of the family. Oh, goodness. There's always someone to blame. And if, hey, if no one can be found, then we blame ourselves, eh? And so as children, we just feel so helpless to change painful events that we think we must have done something wrong. It must be because of us. For the longest time, I thought Dad left because I must have done something wrong. It's been a bad girl. Mom left because I, I must not have loved her enough. These are the kinds of stories we tell ourselves, stories, stories that need to be let go. Mass India and the spiritual teachers have taught me that letting go is not about resolving these difficult feelings. Letting go really has more to do with releasing our past sufferings, misconceptions, and painful self-doubt into the arms of divinity and letting ourselves be nurtured by the sacred. 
to welcome the life that we truly want, we must bring everything to the light of spirit and allow the divine to love all of who we are so we can remember our intrinsic worth. Our responsibility, our sole responsibility in life is to acknowledge our essential worthiness. That's what Massendia says which calls for us to surrender everything that stops us from fully expressing the unknowable mystery of our soul. It is by shedding the old skin that we let the new reveal itself, which then connects us to our true sense of value. And I know, I know, oh God, I know this isn't easy. (laughs) The ego mind resists, after all, as much as we long for change, for love and connection, we're equally driven to survive. We waver between feelings of love and devotion and an equal measure of resistance. I talk about this in podcasts on faith and my chapter on on, uh, on faith, on the balance point between longing and resistance. Eh? For many of us on this on the spiritual path and self-development and healing, we work so hard on relinquishing conditioned patterns that that we end up we end up feeling lost. We end up not knowing who we are. And we try so much to resist resistance, really, that we end up resisting more. And, and naturally, this leads us to a deep yearning for divinity. We have this yearning for divinity, and then we're equally defended against the unknown. It's, it's crazy-making. I remember working with a client many years ago. I and I, I used to do integrative body work, and and, and um, she was so determined to get better, to heal, that whenever she had a release, um, she would fret over it <laughs> after after she'd get off the massage table, and she'd say, "Is it gone? Is it gone? You know, did you, did we get rid of it, Linda?" <laughs> oh goodness, it was so difficult for her to understand that letting go is a state of peace not stressing over whether or not she'd let go of something. And and what exactly was she trying to get rid of anyways, or, or perhaps trying to avoid? Eh? When we're trying to get rid of something, what are we trying to avoid? What feeling? What knowing are we denying? <laughs> yeah, the moment, I remember the moment that she would have a release which would be just that she would be in her calm. Yeah, she would just get so worried. How is it that she wasn't willing? She wasn't allowing herself the space and the time to feel the calm, to feel the deepening of her experience. And we all do it. We all do it. I I go into anxiety and fret, and, and then I stop and I breathe. And I'm like, hmm, hmm, what am I avoiding? And sometimes I'm avoiding trust. And I want to say here that letting go is not about getting rid of anything. It's it's, And it's certainly not about avoidance. Hey, it's not about avoiding our avoidance. Oh my goodness. I, I don't know how many times I've heard people say that they're fine when they're not. Hey, what are they holding on to? It's, it's like even avoiding feeling not fine. Oh, let, let's just be real. Let's just get real with each other. You know, Mass India in this chapter, they reflect on how many people conceal their feelings because they are governed by the belief that they will not be understood or, or they fear that their feelings will betray a deep shame. 
they mask their true essence to avoid being judged, to maintain a, a reasonable sense of security. But the soul cannot be shrouded in falseness. It requires complete disclosure to shine its true light. That's what they explore in this chapter. And they implore us to be authentic. Let go of this false sense of self-protection, they ask us. Let go of the masks that impede the natural flow of our brilliance. I find deep comfort in knowing that there is a universal well of support to draw from beyond the confines of our, of our resistance. And that it's necessary to cease trying so hard to protect ourselves or pressure ourselves to evolve and change and then to instead let ourselves flow with the change. Change is inevitable. Change is as inevitable as the cycles of nature. Letting go is natural. Nature does it. Strong winds take trees and branches down in the forest. Nature lets go. And nature doesn't apologize for being nature. I liken letting go, the art of letting go, to the metaphor of landscaping. Gardens are designed with growth in mind and the necessity for pruning shrubs and trees and reshaping the garden as is needed. Beautiful landscapes need to be maintained and flower pots cared for. Otherwise, some plants become invasive and in pots, well, shrubs outgrow and, and outgrow the pot and become unhealthy. So we need to prune back. We need to prune back our, our own overgrowth. We, we need to prune back our outmoded belief systems, our limited beliefs, to reshape our consciousness and renew ourselves. We need to let go, to prune back these protective mechanisms, these survival mechanisms that prevent us from being authentic. Most of us have developed this idolized version of who we think we, sh we should be as a protective mechanism. And I think that the ultimate act of pruning back has to do with relinquishing who we think we should be, relinquishing these aspects of us that these vigilant protectors that safeguard against feeling that that says that protect us against feeling unwanted and unloved. We grow up believing that we're not good enough. Like I said earlier, we grow up believing that we're not good enough for love and that that it's not safe to be ourselves. So. We exert a lot of effort to live up to this self-image, false self-image. But rather than achieving the desired outcome that we hope for, this self-image, this self-imposed persona, self-created persona, closes us off from what we need. And it undermines our true sense of self, and in particular, our sense of value. It's interesting to me that I, that I started my journey towards letting go of this the masks self, I called the, the idolized self in my early 20s. In, in college, I, I did a series of paintings on the theme of self-love. And later, I created hidden boxes that revealed an interiority of, of deep feeling. I also created masks, a series of masks that represented the many personas that we wear. My deep desire was to shed these masks. And it's, it's still with me. It's remained an integral part of my art till this day and, and, and also my healing practice and, and my own personal practice. This topic of idolized self-image is explored at length in a book, The Pathworks of Self-Transformation by Eva. Oh, I'm going to try to pronounce her name right. I think it's Perekos. Perekos channeled a discarnate being who, who spoke about pain as part of the human experience, beginning with birth. Like 
her channel, her discarnate being is normalizing pain. I mean, it starts with birth. And she writes, even though pleasurable experiences are bound to follow, to follow painful ones, the knowledge of the fear of pain is always present. The idolized self-image is thus created as, as a universal pseudo-protector, which develops false beliefs to avoid unhappiness, to avoid the pain, and she says to even avoid death. So the channeled, this channeled entity that Perokos, per, Perekos channels, it goes on to say that the key to freeing the self from the false image, from the false self-image, is to accept one's personality as it is now, which is what this whole episode, this podcast and other episodes I've created is all about. It's about feeling more welcoming every aspect of us. Okay? And I particularly like this, this passage from her book. She writes, when you make the first steps towards giving up the idealized self, you will feel a sense of liberation as never before. Then you will truly be born again your real self with emerge. I can't tell you how liberating that feels. It's amazing. And I forget. We forget. Mass India welcomes that. It's okay that we forget. And isn't it amazing that through forgetting um, what it feels like to be liberated, we start to yearn for our freedom and we start to move towards it. And in my book, Mass India says something very similar to what Eva writes in her book. Mass India says that liberation comes from relinquishing who you think you should be. And it is the most profound work you will ever do. By relinquishing the need for guarantees and thus your false expectations, you come to recognize your covert behavior and shift the way in which you interact with life. For instance, you cease enduring the pressure to conform and perform for the right to be accepted and loved. You know, today's podcast skims the surface of what this chapter of this chapter on the art of letting go. There's so much more in the book that I highly invite you to read. I hope you will read the whole chapter as it holds so much insight and stories to to help deepen the understanding of surrendered consciousness, as, as well as it holds guidance for the grieving process and how our liberation is really about listening in for the voice of our spirit and becoming open to receiving our spirit's love and guidance. In closing, I will share a last channel message from this chapter on letting go. Mass India says, Being renewed is like a seed that when growing roots grieves its encasement. It breaks free from its outer shell, its shelter, to risk life. The same is true for the initial conception of spirit into matter. The spark of one's spirit attunes itself to life. But in order to seed into incarnation, it has to let go of the shelter of its higher vibrational radiance, a journey of deep spiritual grief as well as joy. The spirit's initial conception into form then has to surrender into the fetus's development. And that is a grieving process because developing physical nature becomes the spirit's main focus, a process of newness, but also loss. Not yet an individual personality or expression of its essence, the fetus becomes its mother's breath, emulating her every thought and emotion. During this stage, 
The fetus is but another organ in a mother's body, not the full expression of its soul consciousness. After birth, the newborn baby grieves the loss of the womb's comfort and protection, and the mother grieves the loss of her pregnancy. She no longer holds within her the the amazing intimate relationship that she previously had with the unknown. Now she must face the unknown. She must grieve the loss of control. After all, her life will never be the same. They go on to say, loss occurs in every single moment of your life. Just as your body goes through cell regeneration, secreting dead cells to replenish your entire physiological system with new cells. The same is true for exhaling. It releases carbon dioxide from your lungs, and each new breath fills you with oxygen. Loss is therefore inevitable, for it is part of the natural life-death cycle that makes all things whole. So letting go is natural. It's inevitable. It's part of our journey, and it's needed. I welcome you again to read this chapter discover the richness that letting go holds for you. I certainly have, and and like I said earlier, I'm not going to lie and say I've mastered it. It's a process. It's a journey. I let go of having to have perfected letting go. (laughs) It's a journey. The Body Soul Podcast is brought to you by Lynn and Ardelli. You can find out more about her book, Mystical Intimacy, on her website, lindanardelli.com, and on Amazon. The podcast is her deepening exploration of the book's messages and the teachings of Masindia. Music for this episode is from the Purple Planet Collection, written and performed by Chris Martin and Jeff Harvey, and the podcast editing by Igor Masharikov.